the American Battlefield Trust seeks to preserve our nation's hallowed battlegrounds and educate the public about what happened there and why it matters today. They permanently protect these battlefields for future generations as a lasting and tangible memorial to the brave soldiers who fought in the American Revolution, the War of 1812, and the Civil War. You can help save battlefield land today by visiting battlefields.org. What's up, everybody? Thank you for listening to this episode of the Tattoo Historian Show. My name is John. I am the Tattoo Historian. And on this week's episode, I have the audio from the previous Tattooed Historian Presents that we did live at the Gary Owen Irish Pub with Alice Evans. And we talked about Ike and Mamie Eisenhower because obviously it was February and, uh, you know, we were talking about things that involved valentine's day but also president's day so why not have a political power couple like ike and mamie eisenhower they have deep connections to the gettysburg area some people in the area still remember them uh living there so it was a pretty cool talk and i really enjoyed going through about 70 years of history uh in 45 minutes which was a uh you know a challenge but i wanted alice to be able to showcase her chops as a historian and to showcase the lives of these two people, uh, what they were like before they met, when they met, when they married, uh, as Ike had his military career and later his presidency, and what they were like after Ike was president. So it was a really cool 40-minute presentation, and Alice, you know, hit it out of the park. She's a great speaker, and she knows her stuff, and I was really happy to have her there live at the Gary Owen. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here's my friend Alice Evans talking about the relationship of Ike and Mamie Eisenhower. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to another installment of the Tattoo Story Presents. Thanks, everybody, for coming out. Really appreciate you guys being out here. Uh, I'm really happy to have my friend Alice Evans with us this evening to talk to us about a unique and powerful relationship, which is that of Ike and Mamie Eisenhower. I figured this was a good program since it's the month of Valentine's Day and President's Day. Why not talk about two of the most powerful people who've lived in Gettysburg? So... Alice, thank you so much for coming out this evening. Yeah, I'm glad I could be here tonight. Really appreciate your time and being, coming out and doing this. And uh, let's give some, uh, some people some background on you and what do you do. Um, well, I have the great privilege of being a park ranger at the Eisenhower National Historic Site. Um, I've been there, well, I did an internship in 2003, and then I was a seasonal for a long time at the park uh, before I was eventually hired in a more permanent capacity. So I've spent a lot of my life talking about the Eisenhowers and researching them. Um, even when I was in graduate school, I wrote my master's thesis about the 1918 influenza here at Camp Colt under then Captain Eisenhower. 
Oh, very cool. I didn't know that that you wrote that. <laughs> I want to take a look at that. That's awesome. Uh, I've, we met at the Eisenhower Farm when we did the live stream last year, mm -hmm. and I was really overwhelmed with the amount of information that you all have out there about those those two. So yeah. uh, we'll kick things off with saying, what were, what were these two people like before they met? Were they, what are their lives like? Well, in many ways, the Eisenhowers have kind of a great love story. And just in that they came from very separate spheres of life. So it's sort of, you know, if you're, you're going to cast them in a movie, it's like, you know, Ike's come from that, you know, as he said, the wrong side of the tracks in Abilene. His family really struggled when he was a young man. And, you know, he has to look for a way to go to college. Of course, that's why he becomes interested in West Point. But if you go to the other end, you know, Mamie's father was a millionaire. You know, he retires at the age of 37 because he felt he had made enough money. Um, so, yeah, I know. Yeah, isn't yeah. that a hard life? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But so Mamie and her sisters grow up very privileged. You know, she never has to want for anything. You know, all she did was, you know, bat her eyes at her dear papa. She called him and got what she wanted. Um, so they're complete opposites. But then even if we're going into the idea of opposites, you know, Eisenhower is such, you know, a masculine man. He's a, he's a, he's a soldier. He's an outdoorsman. Mamie is so feminine. She's, you know, what you would consider, you know, a typical classy society lady. She loves clothing, she loves jewelry, she loves makeup. So I think that's what fascinated them about each other was they were so different that they were so attracted to how dynamic of, of personalities that they were. Mm. Where, did, where did they meet? <laughs> uh, they met at Fort Sam Houston in San Antonio, Texas. Um, then Lieutenant Eisenhower, of course, that's where he was sent right after he graduated from West Point. Um, Mamie's family, the Dowds, lived in Denver, Colorado, but they were snowbirds. They, they didn't like Denver winters, um, so they went to San Antonio to vacation. Um, so they had a good friend, Lulu Harris, who was married to an officer at Fort Sam Houston. Um, so one night they went over just to kind of keep Lulu company, and they're all sitting on her big front porch. Some officers um, sit down with them, and they see this other officer walking by, and they're basically you know, like, hey, Ike! You know, come meet the family from Denver. And so he kind of, you know, begrudgingly uh, walks over. And that's one of the officers kind of leans to Mamie and says, you know, that's the woman hater of the, of the camp here. And Mamie goes, aha. And you know, she kind of liked what she saw, you know, walking up to the porch. Yeah. And um, out, of the, out of Mamie and her sister sitting there, Mamie grabbed, you know, Ike's attention. And he later said she had a very saucy look about her. Um, so it was an instant attraction. Um, so she actually agreed to walk with him on his rounds while that evening. He was, you know, on duty. And um, she was, like I said, you know, an impossibly stylish young lady. So she had these, like, ridiculous boots on with, like, these little pointy heels and pointy toes. You know, they make your legs look great, um, but they're not meant for walking. But, you know, she walked, you know, the entire Fort Sam Houston with him that night. And so I think, wow. you know, by the end they were just both fascinated. Wow. That's pretty impressive yeah. when you can walk in that yes, yeah. around Fort Sam Houston. Okay, that's pretty impressive. <laughs> I'm sure Ike was really impressed, apparently, with that. Yeah. He was pretty smitten right he away. He was, or? yeah. And the funny thing is, Mamie played a little bit of hard to get, you know, because mm. he asked her, you know, for a more formal date, and she told him she didn't have any time available. It, it was her debutante year. You know, back then in high society, when a girl reached a certain age, she was formally introduced and she could do 
to society and she could sort of do more adult-like things like date. So she had a lot of she had a lot of dates, you know, in San Antonio that yeah. that fall into winter. So Ike had to wait for his date. But I think this is so clever. He's such a soldier. He's such a strategian. Um, he discovered every night Mamie had a date with another boy, and he would go and sit with her family, you know, getting good with the parents, start chatting up the sisters, and then he'd wait till that other bozo, you know, dropped Mamie <laughs> off, and then he could be the last guy to say goodnight to Mamie Dowd that evening. So tell me he's not, wow. you know, brilliant in that regard. Yeah, that's a strategist <laughs> right there. That's awesome. Uh, when when they go through their courtship and when do they finally decide to get married? When does like okay. well, they, the question? Yeah, they met in the fall of uh, 1915, you know, right after he had graduated okay. from West Point. Um, the funny thing is, Mamie says there was never a formal proposal. They kind of just looked at each other and said, oh gosh, here we are. But he did... On Valentine's Day of 1916, he did present Mamie with a copy of his West Point class ring. Now, the tradition was that officers gave miniatures, but Mamie didn't want a miniature. She told him she wanted a full-size copy on her finger. Um, so he gives it to her on Valentine's Day, but her mother won't let her wear it because her father's away on a business trip. And um, so she had to wait till he came back in March. So on St. Patrick's Day, um, I could formally ask for Mamie's hand in marriage, and her father said yes. So Mamie always celebrated both Valentine's Day and St. Patrick's Day as the days of her engagement. Wow. That's pretty awesome. And that's so much like her, right, where she's like, I want a full-size oh, yeah, ring yeah. of this. I don't want... No, she didn't want any, any miniature. She was going to have a full-size <laughs> copy to show everybody that she was engaged. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, we first hear about their story here at Gettysburg because Ike comes here. Uh, mm -hmm. to, to what becomes Camp Colt. Mm -hmm. What about their time in this area for the first time? What was that like? Right. Well, this was a very, I, and I always say this to our visitors, this is a really pivotal moment in their young married life. Um, about a year after their marriage, you know, Mamie becomes pregnant, and she will give birth to their first son in the fall of 1917. Now, of course, this 1917, we're in World War One now, right? Um, so for those first few months of their, their first son's life, Ike's not in the picture. He's training men to go overseas to World War I. So when he finally gets sent to Gettysburg, of course, it's a big disappointment for then Captain Eisenhower. He wanted to get overseas, but on the plus side, he's able to secure housing for both Mamie and their son, whose given name was Dowd, but you'll hear me refer to him as Icky tonight, because that was the family nickname for this little boy. Um, but so this is the first time that all three of them are together as a family unit in Gettysburg. So um, tragically, they're going to lose that little boy in, in a couple years. He dies at the age of three. So the months they spend in Gettysburg are the longest that the three of them are intact. You know, mm -hmm. um, So I think years later when they're thinking about a retirement home, even though memories of Vicky were always tinged with a little sadness. Those were such important months. They were able to really be a family for a short time here in Gettysburg. And where did they live in town here? <laughs> they actually lived in three different houses in Gettysburg. Okay. Um, you know, before the Eisenhowers finally purchased their home here in the 1950s, um, they moved at least 37 times. And they moved three times in basically half a year here in 1918. Ooh, wow. um, <laughs> the first two places they lived in were across um, the streets from the, on um, Washington Street across from the college campus gates there, kind of by the Klein Theater. Um, there's a marker there. Today, right. the one building is the Eisenhower Institute 
prostitute. But when they first arrived, they lived above this little like kind of five and dime. It was a little storefront and Mamie hated it. It was a pokey place. Um, it had a little wood burning, stir, wood burning stove that she'd never seen before. She had no idea how one <laughs> cooked on such a device. Um, so they didn't stay there too long. Um, Ike eventually asked the college if they could move next door into what is today the Eisenhower Institute, but was a fraternity house in mm. the 19-teens. Um, so they were there, but that was only a solution until the fall when the college kids came back. So in uh, August, they'll move a third time to a house on Springs Avenue. So, and that wow. was not uncommon. They were kind of always uprooted in, in their military life together. Yeah. See, I'd only ever known of the one place because of the tablet out <laughs> front. And a lot of locals and tourists also were, were like that. It's like, oh, that's the Eisenhower's home. Not realizing there were not realizing there are two other places involved yeah. in that story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, not a lot of people really. There are there is a little marker on the Springs Avenue house. Okay. Um, so, but the the big one is in front of the the old college fraternity, the Eisenhower Institute. So, yeah, yeah. there's a lot of. I said you really can't underestimate how um, important those months were to the Eisenhowers. I mean, obviously, mm -hmm. Captain Eisenhower at Camp Colt is learning lessons of leadership that will go with him for the remainder of his life. Um, but those family months, I think, are equally important to them developing as people and the leaders and world figures they will eventually become. What role does Mamie take on when, when Eisenhower is, he's doing his, his duties uh, between the wars as well and doing some other things. What role does Mamie take on while he's gone? Is she is she heavily involved in things around that around the areas that they're living in, or well, is she more she, of a homebody, or both, both? Both. I mean, um, Mamie Eisenhower is kind of an interesting individual in that she always said her career was Eisenhower. So, yeah. what she was doing most of the time was trying to create a atmosphere that when he came home he could relax. She wanted him to leave work at the door and just focus on being home and mm. away from work. Um, but obviously um, he was gone a lot so that right. was not her only role in their household. So Mamie had to learn real quick and it was a, a terrible adjustment for her, you know, coming from um, a privileged family where her father was home a lot, you know, she didn't understand what life was like in the military. So it took her a lot to kind of adjust to the fact that she was going to be alone a lot. Um, so she, of course, obviously had their children after the death of their first son. They'll have a second son, John. So raising the children was a major focus for her. But she also started to build up um, a community amongst the other army wives. Um, she learned real quick in the army that you need to depend on your fellow army wives, that you're not gonna, you're not gonna make it through unless you have these, these bonds. So um, she developed a lot of relationships in the, in the communities they were in. Um, they all, always had, um, throughout their military career, what they called Club Eisenhower. They were great entertainers. Um, they loved to kind of throw their front door open and you know, like have a card game going. Mamie would be playing piano. There'd be drinks for everybody. Um, so she did a lot of socializing which I think also helps prepare her for later in life when she's first lady. She, she knows how to entertain um, people from many levels of society because, you know, um, also when they were first married, you know, um, it was really expected you'd be an, an officer and a gentleman. So your wife was just as important as, you, as your role in the military. If she didn't know how to entertain, if she didn't know how to speak to, um, you know, um, upper uh, officers that outranked her husband and their wives, you know, I could get a bad reputation. So her ability to know how to entertain and to know how to make people feel comfortable um, was a great advantage, I think, to Eisenhower throughout his career. 
I've always wondered that when, during his time as Supreme Allied Commander, when we're out there doing the living histories every September on the farm, and yeah. we, we talk about Ike, and we, we talk about the, the men overseas or, or women in the wax or whatever, sometimes Mamie's overlooked. Yeah. And, and what was her life like while Ike is Supreme Allied Commander? That was a very tough time for her, obviously, because, you know, during World War I, she knew where her husband was. He was in training camps. She knew he was safe. Obviously, it's a very different world for him as Supreme Allied Commander. I mean, obviously, he was in constant danger. I mean, the Germans would have been very happy if they could have eliminated, you know, General Eisenhower. Um, so her family had actually wanted her to go back to Denver and stay with them through the war. But she decided to remain in Washington because she knew... God forbid if something happened to Ike, she'd find out much faster if she was in Washington. Um, so she and another army wife kind of shared a, a, a apartment building, apartment um, together in a building there in DC with this other woman's daughter. So Mamie kept busy that way. Um, she actually um, volunteered at some of like, um, local USOs where she would serve officers and, and soldiers getting ready to go overseas. Um, she and Bess Truman were part of a Spanish club together during the war. Um, she tried to do whatever she could to keep busy, to right. not just be sitting at home and fretting about what was happening to, well, first her husband, and then, of course, later their son, John, who's at West Point when the war breaks out. He, he will eventually um, enter the war right after D-Day, basically. He graduates on D-Day, as fate would have it. So she spends that last year-ish of the war, you know, also worrying about the fate of her son over in Europe. Mm -hmm. So. Mm -hmm. uh, they keep in constant contact uh, as much as they could when, yes. when the war's going on? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we know that uh, um, General Eisenhower wrote Mamie over 300 letters during the war, um, and he hand-wrote them. He, he, he always dictated his letters to everybody else because he just didn't have the time to sit there and hand-write letters, but he knew Mamie would be upset if, if he uh, <laughs> didn't take the time to handwrite her a letter. Yeah. And actually, these books, these um, letters were published in a book in the 50s called Letters to Mamie. And mm. it's a really emotional read as you go through it. Because Ike's always talking about how much he misses her, how much his life would be easier during the war if she could be there with him. And he talks several times about what their life would be like after the war and how he'd love to have a little farm somewhere in the country where um, he said they could maybe get, you know, brown in the, the sun, maybe a little thick in the middle, um, but, be a, but be able to settle down together. It sounds like they're already a very, there's already a powerful bond well before the Second World mm -hmm. War and, and through, through the war itself. What's life like for them after the war before he becomes president, when he comes home? Right. Well, that's, again, sort of a, another important moment in their married life because Obviously, Eisenhower is going to come back changed. I mean, coming through a war like that, nobody comes back exactly like they were. So they did have to kind of get to know each other again. You know, um, Mamie in her own way had also become very independent. You know, she had, she had her Spanish club and, you know, other activities that, you know, she had started to make a life without Ike. Um, so there was a period of adjustment as they sort of, you know, um, had to get used to each other again. And then it was sort of, well, what's, next for us. I mean, obviously, everyone at the end of the war thought General Eisenhower was going to run for the presidency almost immediately, which, of course, he doesn't. He goes to Columbia. Um, they're able to, um, you know, establish a home there in New York City, though, again, it's kind of a rented apartment. They're thinking about 
the long term. What are they going to do for the rest of their lives? Where are they going to live for the rest of their lives? Um, their son John gets married right after the war, so they're starting to have grandchildren, so that's a new factor in their lives. And they're wondering, you know, do we just find that farm out in the country and kind of fade off into history? When, when do they actually come back to Gettysburg mm -hmm. after the war? Yeah, the first time they'll be back here it really is in the fall of 1950. Um, okay. That's when they decide that they want to purchase a retirement home. They've been kind of starting to look in 49. Um, Mamie said they kind of looked around New York a little bit, like in the Hudson Valley and different areas, and nothing was, nothing was suiting them. Um, but they actually had very good friends, George and Mary Allen, who lived out on the Emmitsburg Road a little bit farther than where the Eisenhower National Historic Site is today. And um, they were very good friends. They were part of the Bridge Club. Club, the Eisenhowers and they said you know there's a farm down the road for us that's come up for sale and Ike and Mamie loved Gettysburg they had that connection and he's a Civil War buff so and as much as he's still saying no at this point he started to think about the presidency Gettysburg's not that far away from Washington so Gettysburg is looking brighter and brighter as a spot for them um, so Mamie actually came to Gettysburg first in the fall of 1950 to look at the house that they would eventually purchase. You know, she had the slightly less famous face, so she could kind of scope out the lay of the right. land without letting the cat out of the bag. Because right. as soon as Ike's there, I mean, the cat's out of the bag. Right. Um, but they, they come, they look at this farm. Mamie fell in love with it instantly. She loved the view to the mountains. She loved the house and its country kitchen. Um, so she was pretty much set from the moments they, they, they saw, she saw it that they were going to have this place. Mm -hmm. So Ike basically said, well, Mamie, if you want it, buy it. So and that was sort yeah. of his mentality. But when he finally came, he immediately understood why why she oh, loved yeah. the farm that they eventually purchased. Yeah, another good re another good strategist. Just buy it for and be done. <laughs> yeah, be yeah. Done with the thing. Uh, so they so they're there before the presidency mm -hmm. and they're moving in and such, and they fall in love with the countryside and all that. When he runs for president, they're they're out there mm -hmm. and, and thinking about this, and they're not far from D.C. How does that impact him when they when he runs for president, and and how does that impact their life out there? Does it impact them very much when they're thinking about this? Do you mean um, in how they operated the farm? Yeah, or? and and their day to day life. Actually, yeah. not really, unfortunately, because okay. um, shortly after they purchased the farm, they're not moving into it. He uh -huh. was sent overseas to work with NATO. Uh, so actually, his good right. friend General Arthur Nevins had agreed to become the farm manager. So Nevins had already gotten the ball rolling. So for the Eisenhowers and and their Gettysburg farm they're able to kind of step away from it but it is interesting in that 52 campaign Eisenhower already starts to see what a political advantage his farm can be um, in June of 1952 he hosts a um, a big gathering for all the Republican delegates here in Pennsylvania who would eventually be voting at the convention later that summer mm -hmm. so he has a massive picnic at his farm he's like come look at my beautiful farm look at this beautiful view and then let me stand on the back porch of my beautiful farmhouse out in the country and tell you why I should be president of the United States right. so even before he's president he's using that farm to his advantage politically mm -hmm. So it's kind of like his own, what we would consider his own Camp David. It's a retreat, and it's where he can talk to these these men. In many ways, yeah. Of course, um, he will utilize Camp David right. quite frequently. But yes, 
there was so much advantage to that property in so many ways. I mean, if you haven't been there, I highly encourage you to come out because you really need to stand there and look towards the mountains and feel, even 60 years on, it's still a very peaceful spot. So being able to get figures away from Washington, which is not a peaceful spot, um, he could have them, as he said, talk man to man out mm -hmm. there. So um, immediately, it's such an important political spot for him, besides being just his home, his retreat from the world. Mm -hmm. Well, let's talk about the home itself because when we went out and we, we live streamed from the home, uh, we, we spoke to you out on that back porch mm -hmm. and it's kind of like its own little, his own little conference area. Mm -hmm. uh, did he use that all through his presidency to his advantage, that, that one area to say, let's come out here and talk about certain world situations? Yes, yeah. Renovations to the home, they started them right as they entered Washington. So basically in the spring of 55, he's able to start using the farm for the remainder of his uh, first term and then all throughout the second term. Mm -hmm. So every major political figure or world leader or you know politician that came um, to Gettysburg with him sat on that porch with him, even if they could only spare a couple minutes. So um, that room, I think, is the most fascinating in the Eisenhower's home because because it is the perfect blend of them as individuals and them as political figures. Um, of course, probably the most famous visit, and the one we often talk about the most, is um, Khrushchev's visit to the farm. As he and Eisenhower sat there on that porch and this, you know, casual atmosphere that Mamie's decorated. Mamie's done the house. So, you know, as much as the general loved that porch, you know, Mamie was the one who kind of made certain that it was this warm, inviting place for these people to relax and unwind and feel comfortable with her husband so they could have that man-to-man -man conversation. Mm -hmm. And by that time, Ike's... Ike's quit smoking by then, hasn't he? Yeah, yeah. And she uh, hasn't. He she, has. Yes, yeah. Mamie smoked her whole life. Um, the yeah. general quit in 48. Um, right. But that's one thing. Lots of people comment on how many ashtrays yeah, I are think I in did. the house. I think I did during the live yeah, stream. I'm yeah. like, wow. Well, but yeah, everybody yeah. smoked then. Right, so. right. Except for General right. Eisenhower. He eventually gave it up. Yeah, he was, what, a four-pack-a-day man? Yeah, during the war, on a, on a typical day, he got about four hours of sleep, drank about 24 cups of coffee, and smoked four packs of cigarettes. Wow. So, but. Well, I got everything but the cigarettes in that equation. <laughs> uh, at least it feels like it. Um, when, when, uh, do you think Khrushchev and well, who's your favorite visitor to that place? Actually, who who do you like to talk to people about <laughs> other than Khrushchev? Uh, uh, I'd have to say Churchill. I mean, oh, how yeah? can you not love yeah. Winston Churchill? And also, I mean, his visit was kind of dynamic. I mean, um, this is after he's left. He's no longer Prime Minister of England, but he's still, of course, you know. He's Winston Churchill, yeah, yeah. Um, but he's there partially just because he and Eisenhower had this great connection during the war. They eventually became, I think, genuinely friends. Um, Eisenhower, he had a routine when, when world leaders or really anyone came to the farm. He was always excited to get them in the house and sit on the porch, but the first thing you had to do was admire his cattle operation. You know, the general raised purebred pure Black Angus cattle on the farm, um, so he would take everybody up there immediately and he would show off. And Churchill um, kind of gave the Secret Service a moment of great concern because um, he starts coming up to the bulls and whacking them on their rear. Ah, that's a good cow there. And of course, the Secret Service was concerned that he would annoy the, the bull and it would decide to stampede. And then you know, that might kind of um, 
break American-British alliances if we had, you know, Winston Churchill trampled to death at the Eisenhower farm in Gettysburg, Pennsylvania. Wow. Um, thankfully, the Bulls did not react badly to uh, Churchill's whacking them, um, but there, was a, there were a few tense <laughs> moments there amongst the cows. How long did Churchill stay there? Was it a very long time? No, it was just was basically an afternoon. Out. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, the only world leader that spent the night at the farm was Prime Minister Nehru of India. Um, he, he was the first world leader to visit in 1956, and he did actually spend the night. Um, world leaders after him basically came for an afternoon or maybe mm -hmm. a day. They, they might have a meal in the house. Um, and also, though, uh, um, the, the president enjoyed taking them out onto the battlefield and mm -hmm. discussing the Battle of Gettysburg and getting them over there. Um, so a lot of times they did, they did not spend a significant amount of time at the farm. One of the wildest things that I saw when you were taking us around was the fact that the bedroom is pink and Eisenhower is sleeping in a bed that has pink sheets and pink blankets on it because he knows his place. Well, if, yeah. she, if she decides that's what we're having, that's what we're having. Yeah. But it's really interesting to see the, the former Supreme Allied commander sleeping in pink sheets. Oh, yeah, yeah. I always tell you know that he slept under the pinkest sheets on the face of the planet. They are. But, but if you do go to the house, do notice, yes, the room, is, uh, people get overwhelmed with how much pink is in their bedroom. Mm -hmm. But if you look closely, the walls are green. And that was his favorite color. So that's one thing she always did in their married life. Because I said they moved 38 times at least, you know, before um, they moved into the house in Gettysburg. So Mamie carried color chips with her. So every time they moved, she would have them paint everything the exact same color. So there'd be a little continuity. So yes, it'd be a strange place, but she tried to make it feel as homey as quickly as possible. So um, she always painted the bedroom green, which was his favorite color, and then decorated in pink which was her favorite color. So it was a very romantic gesture. You know, there, there are two colors coming together in the bedroom. So. Uh, the other place in the house that was like overwhelming to me, other than, other than the pink bathroom, yes. uh, was, was her, her makeup room where, mm -hmm. she, where she got ready every day. Yes. That is just such an amazing room because there's mirrors everywhere yeah. and there's a pink telephone and <laughs> she loved pink. Yeah. So that was a that was a very cool room. Yeah. And that room is also again it's sort of, you know, it's such a testament to who she was as an individual. Mm -hmm. I mean, so she's extremely feminine. She's extremely nostalgic and romantic. One of the things I love about that room, besides all of her pearls and makeup spread out, is on her dresser there, she has Ike's senior picture from West Point. When they were dating, he gave her this portrait, and he inscribed it to the dearest and sweetest girl in the world. Mm. So for the rest of her life, no matter where they lived, that picture was always on her dressing table. So it was there from the you know day he gave it to her until the day she passed away. Mm -hmm. What's it like when family comes out there to the to the farm to see the old home yeah we're so fortunate you know um not many historic sites have this advantage the way we do i mean no one remembers the civil war directly but you know we still see the eisenhower family you know all the grandchildren are still alive um tragically their son john eisenhower passed away in 2013 but he made it to 91 so he had a very full life but we see the grandchildren quite frequently um especially susan eisenhower she um does a lot of um, work with uh, the Eisenhower Institute and White House fellows, so she's often leading tours through. And it's interesting speaking to them, because of course, they're the only people in the world that could call Ike and Mamie grandma and grandpa, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so they come back with this view of the farm. I mean, they, they're very, they're very generous and they understand that it is a museum today and, they, and they're very respectful of that. But you know, they come in and they just, 
they see things differently than we do. Um, mm -hmm. I know Mary Jean Eisenhower was here this past summer, and we were talking about, we, unfortunately, we lost our ash trees behind the house to emerald ash borer. But she just was like, oh, that's so sad. You know, Mamie loved those trees, and she would tell me about what the squirrel families were doing in them You know, every day. She gave me this big report whenever I called her up about, about the antics of the squirrels in these trees. So mm -hmm. that's you know where we just were like, oh, this is a terrible cultural resource loss. We're so sad we lose. But for mm -hmm. Mary Jean, it's like, oh, those were the trees that had the squirrels that my grandmother loved in. Mm -hmm. so. uh, tell us about Mamie being, what I said earlier before we went live was the fact that she's so self-aware of who she is and she's determined and you know, she's a strong woman. Yeah. Tell us about that yeah. aspect of her. I don't think Mamie gets a lot of credit for that. You know, I think we kind of think about, like we're thinking about strong first ladies, we think about Eleanor Roosevelt or right. someone. But Mamie Eisenhower had such a strong sense of self. You know, I think she had to, to put up with, you know, um, Eisenhower throughout his career was not always a five-star general, you know, getting the best of the best. You know, they were in Panama and the Philippines in times when, you know, it was difficult to live in those areas. So Mamie had a very strong sense of self. You know, she knew what she liked, she knew what she wanted, and she was going to get it. Um, she was kind of a general of the household in a lot of ways. Um, she, uh, as first lady, is my favorite story, she liked to have the maids vacuum backwards so that there would be no footprints on the rugs so when anybody walked in for whatever event they were having, everything looked pristine and perfect, untouched. Or even, you know, she um, had such a strong sense of, of herself and her image, um, she always swore she'd never wear old ladies' dresses. She would always, she did kind of dress pretty youthful for throughout her life. Or of course, what most people remember about Mamie is her love of pink and those impossibly tiny little bangs she had. Mm. Um, almost daily, beauticians would send like um, styling guides to her saying, oh, if you just did your hair like this, it'd be so much more attractive. But she loved her bangs. They were her signature. So she wasn't about to be talked out of it. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, what about life after the presidency for them when they retire officially mm -hmm. and they come back and stay here in the area? What was life like for them then? Uh, in many ways, I mean, that, that's what they'd always been working towards. I mean, ever since, you know, the general was writing her those letters saying, let's just, you know, retire and, you know, get brown in the sun. Um, that's what they had been working towards. But in many ways, it's not the retirement they had hoped for. Um, the general's health was not spectacular those last eight years. Um, he'll have you know another couple heart attacks in retirement. Of course, then he'll eventually die of congestive heart failure. Um, so that kind of impeded their life a little bit. And also, you know, for the Eisenhowers, I think in many ways um, their fame was kind of a barrier to the life they would have liked to have led. Um, you know, I, I often remind folks, you know, General Eisenhower didn't become a general till he was in his 50s. So for the first 50 years of his life, they were were just another military family. They could walk the streets without people knowing who they were. They could become part of a community. In many ways, in retirement, they couldn't have that connection they wanted with, with the town of Gettysburg. Um, but they did certainly try. They had lots of friends in the area. Um, they were members of the Presbyterian Church, and they did a lot through the church with the community. Um, they traveled a lot. You know, um, Their son, John Eisenhower, initially lived right down the road. So that was wonderful for them. The grandkids being right next door was very important to them. I cannot um, overemphasize how much they adored those grandchildren. Um, especially, you know, Ike and David, I think, had a very close relationship. Um, in fact, when John Eisenhower moves the family out of Gettysburg, David stays an extra summer with his grandparents and lives mm. with them. Um, partially, it's kind of hang out with his Gettysburg friends still, but I think also, you know, to have that extra summer with grandma and grandpa. Um, 
So that I think was the highlight of the retirement years for them was watching these grandkids grow up and you know watching them become sort of you know individuals in a sense of self. Um, but I think also you know there was a lot of sort of consolidation of their legacy in ways. You know the general will write his presidential memoirs in retirement to sort of have his voice on his presidency in black and white and he'll write and also another really great book called At Ease Stories I Tell to Friends which I highly recommend if you've never read it's sort of vignettes through his life um, but also even just the idea of ensuring that what was going to happen to their house you know they reached out to the Department of the Interior and the National Park Service in the mid 60s to start talking about this and I think it's really it's really interesting in the fall of 1967, they do, of course, donate the home and grounds to the Park Service. And it was a very, it was a very difficult moment for Mamie in a lot of ways. Um, you know, um, they had lived in military housing so long, so suddenly just to hand it back over to the government, she did kind of sigh and go, ugh, back in government housing. Um, but she was talking about, you know, how important this, this house was to them. And she said, you know, to uh, the gentlemen that were there in this, this process of signing over the, the house. She said, you know, my, my son John says that this farm and this porch, they were sitting on the porch when this happened, you know, has lengthened Ike's life twice as long. She said, you know, that what more, what more could you ask for? And that's just so poignant because the next day they get on a plane to go to their vacation home in California and the general will never see Gettysburg again. He'll have a heart attack in early 68 and he's going to be in hospital for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. So that moment when they're they're consolidating the future of their farm and you know who who they're going to be in posterity into the future, and then he doesn't realize that that's it for him. He's he's going to walk out the door, and never see his his beloved farm again. Mm. What what was when when he passes? What's life like for Mamie after that? Because she's on her own now. Gosh, yeah, yeah, those were tough years for Mamie. Mamie will live 10 years longer than the general. Mm -hmm. um, and it's interesting, talking about the donation of the farm, initially, Mamie didn't think she'd want to stay in that big house all by herself. So mm -hmm. the initial agreement was that Mamie would leave, that she would go into widow's housing through the U.S. Army. Mm -hmm. um, so they get this apartment all set up for her, and basically at the last moment, she can't do it. You know, it's the only home they ever owned. There are so many happy memories there. Um, so Congress, um, you know, of course, gave her a life lease on the house, so she was able to remain there for the rest of her life. Though the porch became kind of a difficult spot for her after that. She said she couldn't just sit there, you know, like she had when, when the general was still with us. So she spent a lot more time upstairs in a little sitting room by, by the master bedroom. Um, she tried to travel as much as she could, especially in the early uh, period after Ike passed. Um, under Richard Nixon, their son John became ambassador to Belgium. So she visited him in Belgium. She would visit family members, her sister, or, you know, the grandkids as they were starting to get, you know, married. Um, um, of course, their grandkids grandson David Eisenhower married Julie Nixon and you know so they were starting their lives and getting their family started but as the 70s passed um, her health was not spectacular and she could not travel as much um, so she was a little bit more restricted to the Gettysburg farm so but she still tried to she was a great letter writer and was always calling you know people and tried to keep in, in contact with people but those were certainly lonely years for her in many ways. Do you still get visitors out there who remember 
seeing the Eisenhowers come through town and like hang out in town and do stuff? Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, we st we still do. Um, yeah. Occasionally, like we'll get like a former Secret Service man or someone will come oh, out, yeah. and you know, you never know who's going to walk through that front door and have some connection with um, the Eisenhowers. I was really fortunate um, when I first started at the farm. We still had Doc Starrett there. Uh, Doc Starrett was Ike and Mamie's personal physician in Gettysburg, so he used to volunteer at the farm, and he had excellent stories about you know, because especially in the seventies, you know, when Mamie's health was not great, and Doc would actually go to the farm and. Um, you know, sit with her and, you know, even after he was done with her physical exam, he would just sit and keep company with her. And um, she sa he said that she would start going, to, oh, Doc, I shouldn't tell you this. And, she's, and he said, Mamie, I'll never write a book. And tragically, he never did. I mean, you're like, oh, oh, thank you for being noble and keeping that <laughs> promise. But it's also like, oh, you didn't, you know, <laughs> share all that. Um, yeah. So he used to volunteer at the farm until he passed away. So, yeah, but we, that's, it's so cool about this site, how vital it is, and how alive the history still is. That's one thing I love about the farm. Mm -hmm. the, the place does have like a, an aura of its own, especially that porch. Yeah. I can see why it was a pretty powerful place. I really enjoy that, that part of the house. What do you think uh, Mamie's legacy is? We know Ike's legacy because, you know, it's, it's a, we hear about that a lot, but we don't hear much about Mamie's, you know, legacy, what she leaves behind. Is it yeah. the, is it in, ingrained in the grandchildren? Is it something bigger well, than that? you know what? I'll actually use Mamie's words first, then maybe I'll try to put my own. But, you know, the last interview she ever gave before she passed away was not realizing it would be her last interview, was at the farm. She actually sat on the porch with Barbara Walters, a very young Barbara Walters. Um, and it's a really fascinating interview. I think you can find it on YouTube if you look, you know, Barbara, Barbara Walters, Mamie Eisenhower. Um, but she at the end you know she asks you know Mamie how how do you want your husband to be remembered and Mamie has a pretty polished response you know she she rattles it off and then Barbara Walter says well how do you want Mamie Eisenhower to be remembered and Mamie's genuinely kind of taken aback like she hasn't thought about it and she goes oh well just as a good friend so that's what Mamie wanted to be remembered as a good friend and I think she certainly was but I think she was so much more than that she gets so overlooked as, you know, first lady by, you know, first ladies that came before her, and of course, certainly after her with Jackie Kennedy. Um, but I think what she brings to the legacy of the White House and to the legacy of the Eisenhowers is a sense of strength and stability and continuity. She brought all of these, and certainly a polish to Eisenhower that he never would have had if he hadn't fell in love with a socialite from Denver. Yeah, you, moving 38 times, you have to be <laughs> yeah. a strong person to do that. Yes, Both sides yeah, do. That's yeah. amazing. And what's it what's it like for you personally to to be out there and be around <laughs> surrounded by this history, you know, in your time with the Park Service? Yeah, you know, I've like I said I've been at the farm since 2003 basically with a short break at the, the battlefield. And I'm still my breath still gets taken away sometimes when I stop and I think about where I'm walking and, and who these people were. And I wish like I could just have a time machine. And I wouldn't want to go back to a famous day. I would want to go back to just a normal day. You know, a day in retirement when it was just Ike and maybe, you know, maybe the grandkids stopped by for lunch or something. But I just would love to see who they were behind closed doors. We have such few glimpses into that. I think that's why the house is so important. It's such a testament to who they were behind closed doors. And I think that's the closest we're gonna get 
to really understanding who these people were. That's very well said. Well, thank you, Alice, for, for coming up here and doing this. I know that you know it's a different kind of presentation area for you to do things in, <laughs> yeah. and I appreciate you doing that. If anyone has any questions, please, uh, you, you can ask them when we, when we wrap up here. But I thank you all for, for coming out this evening. Thank you all for tuning in on the live stream. And thank you again, Alice, for being a part of this. Appreciate it very much. Thank you. Thanks, everybody.